there, and welcome to the Punished and Played podcast. We're the sometimes funny, sometimes analytical podcast all about board games and the unique experiences they create. I'm one of your hosts, Sean Rose. I'm joined by Jonathan Baker. Yo, yo. And Clint Broadbent. Good evening. How are you gentlemen doing tonight? I'm wonderful. Clint? In the jaws of another semester, my family motto is cling to the wreckage. So you were in an accident. That's why you almost didn't show up. Is that, that, that pretty much? Okay, pretty great. much. <laughs> the train wreck that is Clint's life. That is right. <laughs> that is right. So it's been a while. What have you guys been playing lately? Well, I actually have had a chance to play a few games. Not with us. Yeah. Not with you guys. I know. I've been playing some stuff with the family, and uh, actually got a chance to play Medieval Academy. Oh. And. Uh, I have to say that last time we talked about Treasure Hunter, Yes, I said I liked the game, but I really wanted to try Medieval Academy. And uh, I finally got that in the mail uh, with my box of treasures that typically comes every other month or so. And I broke this out. I got to play with a couple that not not big gamers at all and got it to the table and was very pleasantly surprised. It absolutely blew Treasure Hunter out of the water. So what are the similarities that make you compare it to Treasure Hunter? Similarities are is it's a drafting game, all right? Simple, kind of the same level of drafting game. You are getting dealt a hand of cards. You're picking one of those cards, and the cards have different, are in relation to different areas of these little mini boards that come out in Medieval Academy, and you pretty much are you're you're drafting these you're choosing these things and then you're playing the cards it's five rounds it's super simple i mean this is gateway game worthy i mean very easy to understand i just loved it it was just it was simple but there was strategy there the one thing that i really loved and i think that i was like why doesn't treasure hunter have this is that you're dealt cards and you draft but on the last card, you, you're dealt five cards, and but you the last card, you discard. And one of the things I hated, I didn't like about Treasure Hunter was, is that you had to keep that last card. Yeah. And so if somebody passes you a card you don't want, well, all all my best laid plans were messed up. Sure. You know? We could be part of the strategy, but I, I get the, the complaint. Yes. Yeah. And so this one, I just, I felt like we, things, it just, it was very smooth. My wife won. Um, I took last place. Um, but had a really fun time playing, and my wife, of course, loved it because she likes she likes to beat me. But we had a really great time. So we need to get his wife to play with us. Yeah, we do. So we yes. do. It's Clint's clip, kryptonite there, I guess. Yeah, I'm telling you. But that that was the fun part was that we had a really we had a really great time, and so uh, uh, super high marks. Just I really recommend this game. I think this is one that I think everyone could own, uh, and I think it's. It actually slots in right before, right kind of. It's a little bit lighter than than Seven Wonders. I think it has uh, it has legs. I would highly recommend it. How does it compare to Sushi Go? There's more strategy than Sushi Go. I mean, Sushi Go is it. It's very it's very good. the 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 brilliance of this game is the idea that you're playing these cards, but and you're moving up on these little tracks. Everybody's on those tracks, and so. You know, like in a in a good Euro game, it's like I just barely inch ahead of you. I'm just barely farther enough than you. Oh, and then you play a card and you snake me. It has that tension all the time. So someone plays a, a card that 
you know, gains you favor with the princess and you're like, oh, crud, you know, he caught, you know, they passed me. But one of the cards that I have in my hand, the princess, you know, and and you're always trying to get that majority and you're getting victory points for majorities. You can get penalties if you fall behind on some of the on some of the areas. It has that tension where I kind of felt like Treasure Hunter, there were some things, but you were you didn't feel that tension going back and forth. It was kind of like, oh, look, this is what I have. But these cards, like I said, you're drafting, and then it's strategic on when you play a card because if you both are in the same spot, the person that landed there last, the person on top, is considered the person ahead. So you kind of want to hold on to your cards. You want to know when to play them. And then there's a princess one that allows you to move up like like a wild card you get to move up it really has a really great strategy the tension is there there were a couple times where it was just like you were just sweating you were like oh man i hope that person didn't get that card and you were you looked at your cards and you're like this card i don't really need this card but i know i'm going to be passing it to my wife next turn and i don't want my wife to have it and so really good really good how long does this game take 30 minutes tops that that is encouraging yeah i mean really 30 minutes i mean it goes very quickly there's there are multiple ways to play but the game i'm telling you this is like one of those games that you spend five minutes talking about the boards and what the boards are and then you just say let's play around and it is deal five cards you pick a thing we actually did we actually played around as it's a practice round it was five five minutes five seven minutes and then we just they're like okay i got it and then boom we were off this is great i think this will really tie in with something else we're gonna be talking about a little bit later um i'm if you'd let me borrow this i i think i might be a good fit for for my office here yeah and this is a game that i haven't played but i actually did order it for my school's board game club so i'm really excited that it sounds like it's going to slot in perfectly for them be a good gateway type game and have a, a good time length on it. Fantastic. I mean, really, really good. And it you think it's a Euro game, but it has it has that tension. And mm-hmm. it, it, it's, you're able to hold that tension almost the entire game. Like, I never felt like there was a down moment. It was like the game started and and you play six rounds and it's like whoosh, really quick. So Ex- excellent. super high mark. Jonathan, what have you been playing? I've played a, a mixture of things. Finally got the nerve to crack open uh, Mage Knight, which I got in a math trade at BGCon, and um, played it solo, and then played it solo again, then played it two-player with Joel, where we were competitive, and um, I think he enjoyed it pretty much, and then played it twice solo after that, so maybe I have a problem. (laughs) We knew that to begin with. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. It's all right. We know you you like solo gaming because um, you don't like people. It's, it's, <laughs> that's true. It's true. It's true. But uh, no, I've enjoyed it because I don't know. I just like that. You know, ex- like kind of explore out. You know, you start off on a tar- starting tile and then you reveal different tiles and work your way across. And there's new enemies and there's always going to be a different. I mean, you start with a starting deck. Um, that represents your hero's abilities, and then your hero has one or two special abilities um, different from the other ones. And then you also have new cards that come available, new actions that you can acquire, spells that you can acquire, units that you can acquire, 
uh, skills when you upgrade that you can acquire. And there's just there's so much, you know, variety. Um, and what and every game is going to be different because new things are, are going to be available to you, and you're going to have to tailor your strategy to what you have. And yeah, I've I've done okay on it. Uh, when I tried to tackle the big cities, it 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 ramped up immediately. I mean, the first intro level, it's like, yeah, okay, we're just kind of holding your hand, walking you through. But when you actually start tackling these big cities, then it becomes quite a different scenario. I I really like to try it two player co op. I haven't tried that mode yet. Mm-hmm. Why only two-player co-op? It's a long game. Oh, so it goes up with more players? Yeah. Hmm. I, I would guess two players, it's probably going to be like two, two ah, and a half, maybe. How... It's probably two hours at least. What would a third no. player add to that? I don't know. I'd be scared. I like how you you should the messages that were coming out as he was writing this, was as he was playing this, was my favorite, was... I believe the words were staring into the dark, cold eyes of the abyss. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like it familiar. Was, it was. I remember he saying, oh, yeah, I liked it. But, you know, I just remember it was just like, guys, I looked into the dark, cold eyes of the abyss. What do you, what do you mean by that? Share us about your thoughts. I'm trying to remember what the exact context was. Was that comparing Mage Knight to other games, I think? Yes. I think, think it was. So. I think it was comparing it to a game, to a really super light game like Grand Austria Hotel. Oh my god. No. <laughs> no. Grand Austria Hotel is not a super light game. Mega light? We had this argument at, it wasn't one of our game nights, but the uh, a church here in Stillwater actually does a game get together once a month. And I was like, okay. So where would Sushi Go fit in this? Sushi Go is like, uh, it's like a kindergarten preschool game. <laughs> so now you know he's absolutely full of crap. Yeah. With that alone. <laughs> well. Jonathan does not have a very wide range of what he considers to be a medium weight game. It's either really super heavy or super light. Yeah. Yeah. There's no middle. So, would you say this is the heaviest game you've ever played? Oh, Mage Knight? No, Grand Austria Hotel. <laughs> oh, okay. Definitely not Grand Austria Hotel. Okay, Mage Knight. Mage Knight? I mean, probably. What else would fit up there? I mean, Terra Mystic is probably one of the other heavier games I've played. I haven't done some of the... I haven't done any of the 18X games. I haven't done Through the Ages. I haven't I haven't been able to do any of those kind of type of games. Okay. But we did get to playing Grand Austria Hotel. Yeah. And I enjoy this one quite a bit. It is not a super light game. No. <laughs> I don't even think it fits within the light category. It's definitely a lighter end of the medium spectrum, I believe. Really? Mm. Yeah. I mean, did you did you have the perception that was a, that it was a light game? No, I had a perception it was a little bit heavier than that. I thought it was more along the medium, at least medium to medium, almost tilting to the heavy. It, I think Jonathan just constantly telling me that it's a super light game has made me actually start believing that it might be lighter than I think it is. But no, I, I definitely think it's definitely in the medium medium weight category. But I enjoy it. I think the thing that makes that the most complicated is the iconography. And then trying to figure out your staff members, you have to have a little cheat sheet. The There's a few problems with this game. I mean, I know we're not a review show, <sighs> but there's a few problems with this game. Number one, the components. Those cards are mega thin i agree the components... super would you would you would you say they're super thin <laughs> i was disappointed in the thin cards yeah. yes yeah uh another problem is you know 
the titles of the staff members are in German in a super tiny font that's very hard to read on there. And then you've got to open up a page and try to find that and match it up and figure out what it does. Or you just learn the iconography and you wouldn't have to worry about that. Yeah. I don't have a problem with the titles being written in German because it's the Grand Austria Hotel. I wish they would have made them A, either bigger, or B, put a number on the card also that you could refer back to. That Just a little number in the corner would have been like, okay, this is number 39. Fine. Great. It's just super hard to read some of them and figure out exactly what they do. Um, some of the iconography on the on the on the guests that you get get on the there's a page that will give you a reference on that. But some of it's just it's confusing. They don't fully explain everything. There's just there's a little there's some problems. Yeah, there are some hurdles, but I don't think anything that you've mentioned actually breaks the game. No, no. no. So if you can get over that, I think it's a really solid game. Yeah, I really heard. Did you guys like the dice mechanic? I did. I yeah. did. I liked it a lot. It was all right. Tell me about the dice mechanic. I know. I thought that that when I had looked at the game, that was the coolest yeah. part. That was the thing I was most excited about. So what's the problem with it? I don't know if there's a problem. It's just all right. Tell me about the mechanic. I don't know about it. There, you roll the dice, and then there's six different actions. One of them actually is a kind of a wild sort of, but there's five actions that you can choose, and you so you line up the dice whatever you rolled on the one action, the two action. And then if you take that action, however many dice are there is, you know, how many times you can do it basically. Mm-hmm. And then you actually take that dice off the board. And so the next person who, who uses that is going to have less, get less yeah. out of it. Yeah. I really like that. Cause that just makes my brain hum. Yeah. Just like, Oh, you'll like it. No. And then there's certain turns that, Oh gosh, the thing I really wanted didn't get rolled at all. But, but that's why the, the six is there. The six will let you pay a dollar, and then for however many six dice are there, you can pick an action and do it that many times. So. Oh, wow. Yeah, I my wife, one of her favorite games is the Castles of Burgundy. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason why she loves that is just the dice. Because the dice just it, it cuts things down to the point of, I don't have to think of a million things. It's like I, I roll the six and a two, I can do a six or a two action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? So more than that. There's more options than that, definitely, because there are 10 dice or maybe 12 dice rolled in the game we played um, with three players. There's a lot of lot of things to keep in mind, though, because there's different ways to score points. The thing, when we were playing, I thought I had a pretty solid thing going on. I was able to get the... on. There's an emperor track, so as you try to... You have to stay up on that, because at the end of the third, fifth, and seventh round, if you're not high enough on the track, you'll actually have to move backwards. At the end, it'll tell you how many spaces you have to move backwards at the end of that round. Mm-hmm. And if you end up in the black area at zero, you have to take a penalty. Oh, wow. If you're in the gold area, then you get the bonus. And if you're in the white area, you don't get any bonus, but you don't take any penalty. So you're trying to balance that out. And I was really able to get my Emperor track, had a solid stream of ways to get points in that category. And I was really, I, I'd, I had lapped one of the players. And I was almost about to lap Jonathan. No, I did not lap you. You never lapped me? I thought you lapped me at one point. I was just behind you. Oh, okay. And then all of a sudden, he just started pumping out all of the staff members, like ridiculous numbers of staff members, and was able to get an ungodly amount of points at the very end of the game. So that was a bit of a surprise. So Jonathan won? Jonathan won? With the staff, huh? T- tell him your theory or tell him your goal. This goes back to my what used to be the one in six theory, but I've modified it to the one in seven theory. I uh, come to the conclusion that as, as much as I love to win games, you guys haven't figured that out who listen to the podcast, uh, I'm okay winning one in seven at this point. I figure Clint's going to win three, 
I'm give him give Clint three. I'm gonna let Noah and Sean split th- the other three. They'll you know alternate between winning two or one. Uh, and then if I can just grab that seventh one, you know I'm okay with that. Of course, this doesn't you know this doesn't account for Joel and Ashley. So mm-hmm. you know what I think, and this is kind of another thing I was thinking about about games. I you're kind of telling me a situation where I kind of like to be in. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of what I said, what I kind of thought with Medieval Academy was that I knew I wasn't doing great, mm-hmm. but I was doing something, yeah. you know. And even though I, like I said, I took last place, which, you know, I, I'm not a person that's like, oh, well, I never take last place. But I don't usually take last place all that often. But I had a lot of fun. Like, yeah, no. it was a lot of fun. And they were teasing me and razzing me at the table. But I was like, it, it's funny. I like games that are kind of fuzzy enough to that, like, I know I'm losing, but I'm still having a good time. Mm-hmm. I don't like the games that I'm like, I'm looking at it and I'm like, we have another hour and there is no way I'm ever going to catch you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and so I guess when we talk about that, how how transparent do we want to be with scores and stuff like that? The way that you were describing it for me was like, you had something that you were doing and I, it didn't pan out for the win, but you did that thing really well. I think I had a good strategy working. It just didn't pay off in the end. We, we, it was fairly close. We were within Sean, 10 points. you were points. killing it. I, I had to be honest. I was really surprised I won. I seriously was. I knew I was going <laughs> to... So I was knew, I. <laughs> I, knew, <laughs> I knew I was going to make it respectable. I mean, that's what I was gunning for. Could sure. I get somewhere close to mm-hmm. you? But I was really surprised when I did slip past you. Yeah. I mean, I knew I had some good, strong in-game stuff coming, but I just wasn't sure... I don't know. I just didn't want, I didn't want to get – he was – I mean, at one point, he was about to lap us. I mean, he lapped Noah, and he lapped, he was about to lap me. And I really felt bad for Noah because he got – He this is his first time playing it. He got hung up with having three guests. You can only have a maximum of three guests waiting in your cafe at a time. They all needed coffee. He got hit with an emperor's penalty at one point, lost every all the goods he had in his cafe. In his and kitchen, it just, yeah. He kind of got where he was deadlocked forever, and there was nothing he could get out of it. And we kept grabbing the dice he would need. I mean, it just, nothing yeah. fell his way. I really felt bad, because he was kind of locked into that, oh, I'm going to be playing this for a while, and I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. But a little bit of that is just the first time he played. I'm hoping he'll he'll give it another shot. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why I I love my special sweet spot is 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. I love 90 minutes because it gives me enough time to build a strategy. I feel like I'm getting something substantial. And I, yeah, there's a there's a plus and a minus to that. How long was the Grand Austrian well, Hotel? Well, here, I had a turn that was 90 minutes. <laughs> he knew I was going to say something, so he's yeah. going ahead and getting out of the way. <laughs> This is not a surprise face for the podcasting viewers. No, t- tell them how many times you rewound your turn. W- this one single turn, how many times you said, oh, no, 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 take the back. Take the dice, grab them, put them in your board. Oh, no, 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 no. Put them I had back. an extended turn. That's okay. I, I'm more, I hate that. It's tough, though. Four rewinds. <laughs> Four. And it wasn't like in quick succession. It was like, okay, I'm going to do this and then do this. I oh. keep forgetting steps. Uh-huh. And then you rewound. And then he went back and did it again. And then... Oh, no, no, that's not what I... And it was like minutes of deliberation trying to figure out what he was going to do. I couldn't recapture. I had it all plotted out, and then I got distracted, and then... And the problem was, like, was is that was he was rewarded for it because he won the game. That is the problem. <laughs> <laughs> that that uh, was probably the thing that left the biggest... Uh, <laughs> 
sour taste in my mouth, honestly. But so <laughs> basically, at the end of the day, we burned down the Grand Austria Hotel. Yes. <laughs> I was telling them, like, you know, your hotel provides really quality, top-notch service. You're just incredibly slow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no, I, I really do enjoy Grand Austria Hotel. I think it's a solid, medium-weight game. Don't listen to what Jonathan has to say. How many um, players would you play it with? You know, I thought the three-player worked just fine. I could see the complaint. I mean, there were t- t- turns where... Because it has that kind of the draft. Well, you think like like fantasy football or whatever where you do the draft. Like, you go first, second, third, and then third goes again, second, and first. So if you're the first player, you pick first and last. Yeah. So you could be going first and eighth. And that's yeah. a big gap between your turns. Yeah. Th- there were turns where I got up and just walked away because I'd like... I'm there's I I'm gonna go get some food because <laughs> there's nothing for me to really do here. There's a little bit of there's a little bit of of a downtime problem, um, and that's even if you're not playing with me. I think this would be a fantastic two player game. Yes, really. Yeah. Oh mm. yes, mm. just knock it out back and forth. Boom 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 boom. Really? Yeah. So I I'm two gonna, I, two stretch to three. I would play three again. I would too. I I've I haven't tried four, but I just I, I would be. I think nervous. I I would have to play with people who have played this and understand what's going on to make the turn snappier. But I would have to build up to that. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. I think two to three would be the sweet spot. Mm. But yeah, thumbs up for that. The other game that I've been playing is Pandemic Legacy. Yeah, uh-huh. keeping that going. Uh-huh. We just finished up July today. We won on our first go. Mm. Congratulations. So, yeah. <laughs> How far are you, Clint, on your game? Deadlocked at uh I think I think I talked to you at was it May? I'm stuck in May. Okay. So Which we we are gonna get that up again. But uh the wife is just we, we've just been busy. And in our game we're on what month? Are we on July? We're June. Uh, June, we just, June. June, yes. Yeah, we played we played a May we had lost May before. We played May again, won it, and I felt like we were in pretty good shape on that May. We kind of rocked that one out. Mm-hmm. And then um, June, I thought we had it. Uh, yep. We had two diseases cured. cured. Yeah. Mm-hmm. W- one eradicated, I think so. We, at mm-hmm. that point. And then Black just blew up yeah. all of a sudden. That, ha- that happens a lot with us in that game for some reason. Black just goes crazy. But, you know, without spoiling anything, I, 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 keep, don't... I keep starting to slip spoilers, guys. Yeah. But no, you haven't broken any spoilers. <laughs> it's close. I almost said a word. I almost did. <laughs> yeah, don't say that word. Okay. But I'm I am refreshed by how this game keeps throwing new things at you that keeps the game interesting. Mm-hmm. There are some new this new elements that keeps kind of changing the way that you think about a pandemic game. So it, it's it's really great. There are lots of surprises along the way. Some some that you guys haven't hit yet. I look forward to those. Yeah, I'm. I love the game. I love the game. Love, love, love it. So, so yeah, you were gonna. We'll, we'll talk more about Pandemic Legacy here in a little bit. I have a feeling. So that brings us to our topic for the night, where we were gonna really want to explore this idea of how do we explain our interest in hobby board gaming to people who are uninitiated with the hobby board gaming field, but also how do we actually introduce these games to people who aren't used to playing designer type board games. So that's kind of the whole idea here. So this is interesting because I think that we we play with each other, but we also have unique groups that, like you're starting a board game club at your high school. I'm sorry, middle school. Junior high. Come on now. (laughs) Get it right. Junior high. Thank you. Excuse me. (laughs) 
Okay, what's the difference? I don't know. It's eighth and ninth grade. <laughs> okay, perfect. It's Jonathan. Ooh la la. Ooh la la. Wee wee. Anyways. <laughs> so you've been you've been trying to introduce kids at your school to games. I've been teaching introducing my coworkers to games. Is there a certain group of uninitiated? Just typically members I just go to church with. We've had a we had a church activity where I put on a game thing for the church members and I just have usually have a steady stream of people saying, Hey, I hear you like I hear you're a big board game fan mm-hmm. and so so when people when people come up to you and they realize, oh, you're into board games, what do they tend to assume? Like, what type of games do they think that you're playing? Oh well, typically it's, uh, hey, I've heard I bought this new party game from Walmart. It's like Mad Gab or um, Apples to Apples. Have you heard of that game? Mm-hmm. And uh, and I sometimes. Like I said, it's oh yeah, uh huh. I I have, and and typically what you what you try not to do is not do the well, you know, nose up in the air. Oh, apples to apples, barf, you know. <laughs> um, but a lot of times, like I said, is that when you're introducing things to new people, uh, one of the first things is is that there are a lot of games out there, and and I don't think it's too snootish to say, you know, I think that there are better games than Monopoly. But <gasps> Monopoly is like a, like a great starting point for people. And for me, what I try to connect with people on that on in that case is, hey, you like to play games? I like to play games too. And that's something that we can touch off of. And it's a great way to make friends, you know. And so I think the first thing you do is, is to uh, connect on that level with them. And uh, typically they're usually willing to try other games. Yeah. What have your experiences been like when people realize that you are into board games? They don't understand it. I mean, they'll say, you know, like Monopoly, like Scrabble, like Risk, you know? That's the questions you get. And then it's just, uh, I tend to try to explain it, and then I tend to over-explain it. And then you can tell their eyes are starting to glaze over, and they don't understand how excited I, I get talking about this topic and... You know, I kind of have to monitor myself and, and, and try to be self-aware. Am I over-discussing this? Am I going in too much detail with this person who has no context for what I'm talking about? Yeah, and I, I've told the story how when my family realized that I was getting more into board games and I was really enjoying them quite a bit, I would just get these random party games, <laughs> things they could find. This like this idea that, oh, all board games are the same. You know, you must, if you like board games, you'll like anything that we get. I think that's the thing, is helping to bring an increased awareness that there are a multitude of different types of board games. We tend to lump ahead, lump certain ones together. You know, you, you think about those classics like, oh, a word game, okay, Scrabble. Monopoly kind of being its own, kind of own category, its own behemoth. But, and then Risk, you know, that's the combat game. That's the one that everyone knows about. And you'll have people who absolutely love Risk and people who absolutely despise it based upon their experiences. But I think that's the thing is just trying as, but as my family members became more aware of what types of games, as I started introducing them to the, those games I like to play, they started to figure out, okay, there are certain types of games. This is, there's, these are the types of things that he's looking for in a game that, that goes beyond just 
more luck-based things. Not saying that there aren't some really great games that are luck-based. Mm-hmm. But so whenever you are trying to explain and articulate what it is about the games that you, the type of board games you like to play, how do you describe them to people who are unfamiliar with hobby board gaming? I typically, if they're like at my house, I'll take them into into my office where I have all my games. That's like throwing them to the deep end. That's I know, like, I know. And uh, typically, what I tend to do is I okay. I first of all. What do they say when they see all your board games? Holy crap. Yep, that's why I expect uh, That is the first thing that they say. They say, holy crap, this thing's huge. You really call that room an office? I thought that was your game room. <laughs> Air quotes, office. <laughs> it's not a very good office tool. I was up late night last night studying, and I'm sitting there writing mm-hmm. for the statistics test that I'm taking, uh, take-home test, and I'm just like, just slaving through it, and then I'm looking up, and I'm looking at these games. I'm like, oh, I'd more rather be doing that than doing this. <laughs> Through upper shoulder haunting him. It is really not good for uh, – the good news is, though, is that you can't really break one out and play by yourself. Um, unless you're Jonathan. Yeah, but uh, for the most part, it's a it's a longing thing. But what I usually do is I take them in there. I, I always say, name a theme. What's a, what's a game you like? And uh, and whenever they say like if they say Monopoly, I will pull out a game and it will typically it's like I always think of it like you know Beauty and the Beast where the Beast takes Belle and oh she opens her eyes and this thing it's for me it's magical we're Disney people and so and for me I'm just like I have this whole th- wall of games and you just pick a theme you pick a theme or a game that you like. And I can bring you, I can bring you a game out that uh, that that you'll that you'll enjoy. I always tend, I put some games that are pretty ubiquitous. I have an apples to apples in my collection, so that they can look and say, "Oh, hey, I've seen Boulder Dash, Boulder Dash before, and I've seen Settlers, I've seen Catan before." Mm-hmm. So I keep those games out there, even though I don't play them as much. It is a good touchstone for people, but I I do I tend to say, I've got all these games, and I. We have a couple neighbors that came by, and they're these two young boys, um, awesome kids, but they just want to come by just to look at the games. You know, they just want to come look at the games. Yeah, you know, Mr. Broadbank, can I come look at the games? And and uh, hey, let's go to that crazy old man Broadbent's house. <laughs> yeah, it's right, it's right. But uh, I do tend to to do that, and and I found some people that look at my look at the collection are like. They kind of take a step back and they're like, oh, that's cool. And then walk out. And then there are some people that the, I had a guy that just like, he just stayed for like a half an hour just talking about games. Oh, hey, I played this game. Have you played that game? I'm like, yeah, it's right there. And oh, yeah, I've played that one. And it was just a touchstone. And like I said, now every so often on Sundays, they'll, they'll text me and they'll be like, hey, my boys want to come, come want to play a game. Do you you know? Do you want to come over? And so mm-hmm. we'll take our family over, and they have young kids. We have young kids, and we'll play play a game. Sure, but you don't always have your collection on hand. Maybe you're out and about, and you know, when you, someone you're having a second up conversation, you don't have your game room handy. How how do you have that conversation? So when I pull out my uh, wallet and just unfold all the pictures of my game room and just have them look through them. Oh dear heavens! <laughs> here, here, no! Don't look at my kids. Look, look at my games. Oh, he doesn't have room for have his any, kids. I don't have any pictures from oh my kids. <laughs> oh my gosh! Just my prized games. Oh good. Which would be what? Puerto Rico. <laughs> okay. All right. That's it. It's, you know, 
<laughs> so good. in his wallet is a picture of Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. <laughs> your your child's Puerto Rican? No, Puerto Rico. <laughs> your son's name's Rico? No. <laughs> No, seriously, it's difficult. It really is difficult for me. I just, I try to just say, you know, there are newer games. There's been some progress in game development. You know, Monopoly is, a, is an okay game. I can't say great game, but an okay game. And there's been, you know, things since that. And I try to kind of explain a little bit about something. I mean, I'm trying to think of something recently. And I don't know. I, I find myself saying stuff about games at inappropriate times, like when somebody will bring up some topic and I'll just be like oh they just came out with a game about that and just go on about it and there people are like what? what why are you talking about this in our department meeting I mean come on. <laughs> what does this have to do with you think he's joking that really happened <laughs> oh I totally believe it no that I really totally happens uh, and mostly the people I work with uh, humor me so mm-hmm. but a, a few of them have started playing uh, Katana they told me which I thought was interesting um, but I haven't quite had much success getting anybody interested in coming. Uh, one time I was able to get a colleague to come over, and then she never came back. So, obviously. When? <laughs> obviously that one didn't pay off. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think what we're hitting on is a bit of a struggle. Because in Clint's case, it's like, okay, I can't quite articulate, but here, come look at what I have. Yeah. And you try to bring it up and try to find a way. And that's, it's tough. When, when I was first getting in, and I was trying to explain to you know, people, what type of games I was interested in. I tried to explain it from, you know, when I was, I guess, looking more at Euro, Euro games. But that term doesn't mean anything to people. No. So I always try to, you know, say, I, well, you know, I tend to favor games that have a little bit more, a, much more strategy involved, less luck involved. Mm-hmm. And so that was really easy for me to kind of explain it that way. But that doesn't apply to all the games I t- tend to like. Because there are lots of games I like, you know, like Arkham Horror, very thematic. So I tried to, you know, explain that, you know, it could be games that have a much more, a bigger focus on theme. Like there's a like a world that it creates and you're immersed in that. Like a book and Beauty and the Beast and the library and do, 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 do. Come on. Come on, Disney. <laughs> I have two daughters. Come on. Give me a break. Cut me a break. For the sake of keeping Clint happy, yes. Yes. Just like the library. Yes, I get it. (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, you have the games that focus more on strategy. I tend to also like to to explain that, you know, I tend to like games that are designer board games. That a lot more of thought, a lot more thought is put into the design of the games. The person who actually designed it gets credit for the work that they've done. I don't know. Do you like that? That approach to calling them designer board games. Some people like that. Some people don't. I've tried. I've tried designer board games. I've tried modern board games. I've tried hobby board games. I mean, what what term do you use? I tend to. I tend to do the thing of that's fantastic. Monopoly is how old? Um, and I just say, you know, Monopoly is an old game. Your grandparents were playing that game, and you know, there have been other games made over the past, you know, fifty, seventy years, and uh, a lot of people have taken what they like of you know a monopoly and added things and made them better improved on some of the deficiencies and i tend to say that you know i tend to find there are different types of games like there are different flavors of ice cream and and i just say you know what's what's a, i always the best way i always do is what's a game you like mm-hmm. and if they say monopoly or if they say risk i will i will tend to tell them about a game of you know 
hey, I have a game of Risk that's set in Egypt, and you know, you get a fight, but you get special monsters that you get to play with. I'm talking, I'm talking about Comet. Oh, you sounds know. great. And it and it really is. I. I I work with a youth group and that's exactly they were, before I came into the youth group as a leader, they loved risk. They would play risk all the time. And now, like I said, one night, one, one of the campouts, I brought Comet and one of the boys bought it, bought a copy of Comet by himself. Like, wow. and wow. like, like they like will go off with each other and they've probably played like 15 games by themselves. Uh, and they just love it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that's kind of a thing for, for me is, oh, hey, there's a game that's a little bit that, – that's taken a little bit further, tightened it up, and maybe you might want to try it. You know? Yeah. So I, I think the big message here is that it's, it's hard to describe the hobby, honestly, because there's so much variety out there. It's kind of hard to encompass everything. Just like, you know, you can even use – if we go back to – the Beast Library. Yes. Fine. Do, 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 do. Okay. Oh, dear Lord. Like there are different genres of books, different genres of movies. There are different genres of board games. And and they'll they'll make sense. They'll make sense that, you know, you if you, even if you, like, Barnes & Noble, they've done a much better job of categorizing, you know, strategy games. They don't always get it exactly right, but they tr- they've been more conscientious about separating games into party games or classics and things like that. But again, there it's really hard to find a one encompassing description of what hobby board gaming is all about. It yeah. really is, because there's so many different types of games out there. But I, I guess this comes down to what differentiates the quote-unquote classic games that people grew up playing from what we play now. What's that big thing that's that helps people to understand exactly what we're what we're doing, what we're into? I like modern board games. A designer can is is kind of ambiguous. Like they're thinking, they're thinking like designer jeans or whatever. Sure. Um, I I I tend to say modern board games, and they're like, oh, I haven't heard of those modern board games, and I'll tend to mention. Have you ever heard of a game called Catan or mm-hmm. Ticket to Ride? Oh yeah, I played that. I love that. Well, there there are other games like that, mm-hmm. you know, and those are considered new to them. I mean, some people think I had a a couple that came to me and said, "Oh my gosh, I just played Catan last last month with somebody, and it was amazing." Do you have games like that? Mm-hmm. You know, and that game is now how the game is over ten years old. Yeah. Ticket to Ride is 10 years old. Cannot believe that. And so I just say that's those are almost always the two touchstones for me. Is, have you heard of Catan? Have you heard of Ticket to Ride? Yes. Oh, hey, great. There are other games like that that have ha, are board games that have a little bit more strategy than your average game. And we kind of have that luxury now because Ticket to Ride and Settlers has have become more mainstream to a certain extent because you can you can find them in and Target. Target's done a pretty good job of trying to bring those games in. But for it's for those who have never had any encounter with those, you know, who have really seriously only played Scrabble, Monopoly, Risk, things like that, it's it's a little bit more of a challenge. Yeah, I I know just just trying to enunciate to people what it is about these games. Uh, we were in a kind of a small group with our church last year 
with some couples. And I had told them how I was interested in games, and they were, you know, they didn't know anything about them. But one night we decided um, we would just have a little game night. And so um, I brought Telestrations. We played that. We had a good time. I had a couple other things in my bag. I think I had King of Tokyo sitting in my bag. I had um, Ticket to Ride. And I kind of just showed those to them. And, you know, they looked at the box and stuff. And we just didn't really have time to do anything else. But then, like, uh, about a month ago or so, the guy whose house it was at was like, yeah, we bought a Ticket to Ride over Christmas. And we played that all over Christmas break. We played it so much. And I was was wanting to know about this uh, 1910 expansion or something. And he would just, you know, somebody who's never played any of these type of games and he was just all in it had gone on his own even though he didn't play it with me he saw it knew it was something i was interested in checked it out had a good time with it and i was like oh did you know there are other maps you can get for this and i think when someone comes up to you and acknowledges that board game expansions even exist i think you've made amazing a breakthrough. yeah you've you, it, it you shocked me them. i've sold at least four copies of of splendor just people that play it and they they're like we play it with them and they they they're like I have to own this game and like and they're like totally non-gamers this is like the first game that they've ever bought and they're just like oh this is fun and I there is nothing better for me than somebody to come up and say oh my gosh I played I I bought that game and we've played it like four or five times and we just we just love it and I'm like right. oh, spreading the gospel of games yeah and I think that's the key thing. This will tie into the next part of our conversation is getting someone to actually try the games. That can make the argument more than anything that you actually say. Let them get their hands on it. Especially if you can find something like, I like your approach of saying, like, what type of games do you like? Which ones, or even better sometimes, okay, what games did you not like? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because we tend to think, I tend to think in terms of mechanics. Yeah. Well, okay, what type of mechanisms are within the game that will be comparable but probably improved upon in that regard. So that brings up the question of how do we approach introducing games to non-gamers or people who are uninitiated with the hobby board games? You've kind of been touching on that to a certain extent, but is there anything that you tend to do in particular to really help people make a smooth transition into kind of seeing what this whole hobby is about? Are there any strategies that you use? The first one that I need to work on that I just just it's hard is that usually the people that I play games with they have little kids, you yes. know. Mm-hmm. And if I really want someone to have a great time playing a game, I'm going to get a babysitter and I'm going to play with just that, or the kids are going to be asleep and it's just time to for us to play, sit down and play a game. I always find that the hardest, it's so hard for people, if you have kids running around screaming or a kid stubs his, their toe and they want to go talk to mom right in the middle of a game, they're really not able to f- stay focused on the game. And it's just like, you know, it's just like my wife that gets up in the middle of a TV show to go get a glass of water and then we get done with the show and I'm like hey that was really good and she was like I didn't get it you know mm-hmm. and it's just like well you didn't get it because you left you know for half an hour of the show you know just going off and doing things and and so for my in my opinion if you really want to set things up make it a night and say I usually tend to do like a dinner like hey let's grab some pizza and then we come over to our house and, and we'll play a game. Yeah. And that's an important thing that you oftentimes, with some of the games we, t- we tend to play, you have to be focused. You have to actually pay attention to what's going on because if you're not careful, 
you'll miss some important pieces. So I think setting up the expectations can also be an important part of that. Because again, if someone is, has no interest in being able to sit there and watch other people take their turns without being able to get on their phone or watch television or something like that, perhaps it may not be the best fit for them necessarily. And there have been times where I've brought like a bag of games and I talk and I'm talking to them and they're like, I have never played anything more than Balderdash. Like I will slide strategy games to the bottom and just like, you know what? They probably would like this game. But at this point right now, things are going crazy. They need illustrations. They need a party game that's that, you know, and for me, if they have fun with that party game, awesome. I would prefer not to play that party game, Mm -hmm. but you kind of hit them at their level. And uh, I've had times when I first started playing games where I'm like, I have, I literally tried to convince my brother-in-law and my future sister-in-law to play Steam while we were babysitting kids. I already told you we steamed the game. I've you already actually it. talked about that. You yes. steamed it, and like I have learned so much since then, and I am still sorry, Parker and Tiana. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, just literally, just really wanted to play this game, and they just it was just shut down, and it was just oh, it was terrible. And so I do now, where I I I will sacrifice playing a game that I really want to play to something that will connect to them. Yeah. But I think that brings up a really interesting point here. I feel that as hobby board gamers, we can be a bit snobbish when it comes to less, you know... The untouchables. The, okay, the untouchables. What, what, the untouchables. What, what are the untouchables? It was, it was the second Monopoly. name. It was the name right behind Punched and Played podcast. The Untouchables podcast. <laughs> Monopoly. Okay. Okay. All right. Munchkin is one that. Uh, yes, I've it, never played Munchkin, guys. You've never played. I've never played Munchkin. Oh my gosh. Munchkin. I've, I've it, watched it played, and that was enough for me. Munchkin is what is amazingly fun the first time you play, and then I love read the cards. I'm a pun guy. I love the puns, but gosh, it's just tough. It, it is, but I think that it, with how I approach trying to introduce non-gamers as I'll just generally refer to them as I think that like for example during our lunch breaks here at work I've been trying to introduce more games to my co-workers but every now and then you know we'll play th- game, games like we've been playing Pandemic Legacy during our lunch breaks once a week we play Pandemic Legacy I'm the only gamer in the group I've introduced some people over time to just regular Pandemic, and they were really excited about the prospect of doing Pandemic Legacy. But every now and then, we'll still bust out the skip bow. More less desirable. I, I'm not a big fan of Phase 10. Ugh. Mm-hmm. I just I get really frustrated with that game. It, you know, when someone, oh, my opening hand, I finished. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I didn't get to play a single thing. Games like that irritate me, but I'll still play them. Yeah, because sometimes you don't want to play a really in-depth strategy game. That's not that not, not say that they're not capable of doing it; they absolutely are. But sometimes, depending on the context of when you're playing the game, you may be looking for a different type of experience. So, with my coworkers, Sushi Go has been huge. It's very approachable, even for people who are like, oh, I'm I'm not very good at understanding rules and all that. I'll bring out all the cards. I'll show them examples very straightforward all the scoring's on the bottom of the card here and 
I just go through it, and they pick up on it incredibly fast. And that's kind of the stepping stone to hopefully maybe lead into a medieval academy or something like that to kind of build upon those basic mechanics of the drafting. Yeah. And someday when you grow up, you'll play Seven Wonders. Yeah. I, w- I was thinking about that. I don't think Seven Wonders would go over with my particular group, though. It's it's the iconography. Yep, I it, think so. Yeah, it for me, I agree. Some people say, oh, Seven Wonders is an amazing gateway game. And I am like, Seven Wonders in no way is a gateway game. Uh, the only reason why Seven Wonders is so popular as a gateway game is because you're desperate for a game at seven players. You're desperate not to play another party game. And Seven Wonders plays really well with seven players. And so, for me, I I like Seven Wonders. But uh, that iconography can be brutal. But I think what is so appealing about a game like Sushi Go is it's introducing a new mechanic that they're not familiar with. Just like how Pandemic was like a kind of a revelation for a lot of my coworkers because they had not really played any type of cooperative board game. And that's the granddaddy of, of cooperative board games, at least in my mind it is. And they've latched onto it. They just love the idea of working together. I quizzed all the people that I play games with in our office. And the consistent thing was the games that they enjoyed the most, Sushi Go and Pandemic. Mm-hmm. New mechanisms that they had not been exposed to before. I think that's a really important thing to think about. Start off small. You can start off small. It may not be your favorite game. It might not be the most in-depth game, but if you can get them introduced to the basic aspects, you can then build up from there. But also, for me, it's like, don't be afraid to play The Untouchables, according (laughs) to Jonathan. Because, I mean... Who's up for some set? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've never played set. Mm -hmm. Oh. I uh. <laughs> I actually kind of like that a little bit. Okay, I like Parcheesi. My sister like Parcheesi. Have you played Parcheesi? I've never played Parcheesi. You've never played Parcheesi. I might have. Parcheesi is a much better game than Sorry and Trouble. I I think Parcheesi is a classic game. I think it's it's part of the triumvirate of competitive games, <laughs> along with Twister and Miss Pac-Man. That's right. <laughs> Long live Miss Pac-Man. Um, but the, I, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I, I 100% agree. Uh, we have a game in our family. Uh, it's called Hand and Foot. It's a canasta variant. It's a oh. disease. It's a disease. <laughs> yes. That's foot and mouth. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, foot and mouth. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> but uh, we are not a medical podcast. None of this is medical advice. Uh, but it's called Hand and Foot. And you know what? The funny thing is, is that we played hand and foot for a long time, like before I even got into gaming. And we love it. Like, yeah. It's great. But after playing for a little while, after you play some better games, it, it, it really is hard because the game is extremely swingy. Mm-hmm. It's extremely luck-based. But there's a hint. There's a little tiny hint of strategy of like what card to hold on to or whatever. But it's brutal for me. But here's the thing, is that if you if you play that game, and then, you know, you're willing to play ball and, you know, do something maybe that you're not as comfortable with, mm-hmm. not that you're not, you, that you can't handle it, just that you'd rather play something else, but then you have the opportunity of, okay, yeah, you guys really like this game, w- would you try this one? It's very similar to this, but it does something a little bit unique. Yeah. And then maybe they're going to be more willing to try your game 
and see if they can make a decision. And they might be set in their ways that, you know what, oh, I kind of like my original version. Have you ever had that where you've introduced a game and you're like, you know what, I just don't really like this. I kind of like my my other my other games. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's okay with me. Uh, like I said, it's just the same way is that you can share something with somebody and they might not like it. You know, somebody might not like your favorite movie. Uh, that's okay. And uh, I think the good news, is, the thing is, is that if you can be on a, if you can make the experience a positive one for whoever you're doing it with, that opens the door for them later on to to maybe, you know, try another game and say, well, well, hey, I tried X and Y and I didn't quite like it. And then somebody else brings another game and you're like, oh, they, they like this game and maybe they look at it again. You know? Yeah. And so Jonathan over here talking about untouchables and diseases and all that. Like, you have formed, like, this cast system of board games. Yes, I'm the Brahmin. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) So what what is the pinnacle of of board games, then? Haven't we established this already? Lord of the Rings, the living card game? Okay, forget you, then. Okay. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry. I did not follow the party line. Robinson Crusoe, of course, my lord. (laughs) I have not mentioned Robinson Crusoe. Recently, no, you have not. This episode, we did get to play that though. We did, and it yeah. was very good. I even I went home the next day and played it solo. Although we played it wrong, we did. We played multiple things wrong, massively wrong. That rule book, I I love that game, but that rule book is I swear I learned mm. something new, and that's not a good thing. And that's another problem I feel like with introducing this hobby to other people. The rule books and teaching the rules can be a huge hurdle. Yeah. That's why I find I like baby steps of introducing some new aspects and building up to it. But that's the thing is like I have brought so many games trying to teach people, figure out what they like. And I've had some things that flop. And as people leave the office and new people come in, I find things that people hated that, oh, they latch onto this idea. So like... Yeah, I had somebody, like, I try and bring in some more thematic games, thinking that'd be a little bit more approachable. No, no. If it was too much strategy, no, that wasn't a good fit either. So it's just trying to find this balance with who you're trying to, to meet. That's why I like really trying to get their preferences. But again, if they're not really into games, it can make it really, really tough to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. I've actually, there. you mentioned a symbiotic relationship. I've had people that, like, they play, we have a great night, and they're like, Oh, that was so much fun, but oh, I hate reading the rules. And I'm just like, you know what? We have a great relationship going here because I need people to play with and you need somebody to learn and to teach the rules and has the games. I'm here whenever you want, mm-hmm. you know? And uh and that has definitely been a positive thing for some people. Yeah. I think that's probably the appeal of all these watch it played videos and all that is teach me the rules or the basic but that can be a double-edged sword sometimes too that you watch the video you're like okay i understand the rules and then you actually sit down to play and then you realize oh i misunderstood something in this because i didn't actually see the rule book myself that is that is definitely a thing i always say that i think it'd be very funny if we had like a pact that if we played a new game everybody had to read the rules before playing the game i think we would be surprised at what would happen. Oh, that's a great way to introduce new people to the hobby. Here, oh, yeah. read this real book. <laughs> yeah, but no, I'm just saying like as us, like I think that there'd be a lot to benefit from everybody reading the rules. Because the first five times I played uh, Power Grid, I played Power Grid wrong. 
I played, I didn't block off certain things. And when I played it with somebody else, I'm like, oh my gosh, I liked the game, mm-hmm. but uh, it just, it blew my mind. You yeah. Know? Everybody needs to do that for, for Robinson Crusoe. Everybody needs to read the real book, read the fact. 68 page fact. 68 pages. I, That's longer than a rule book. Lots longer. But I still love that game. I love you, Ignacy. Don't, <sighs> don't. I love that game. I, that might be my favorite game. I'm still solidifying. It is. It it's, is a, it's his favorite game. It is probably my favorite game. I just love it. I've play, I play the game alone. I know, I'm not a solo gamer, and I love that. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Words are coming out of my mouth. I love that game. He's Robinson again. Yeah. Do you feel the pressure of having to build up to, like, you love this game so much and you want other people to have that same love? Has it ever crossed your mind to try to introduce somebody who's not ready for Robinson to go ahead and, like, oh, here, I think you can handle this? Like, but that's probably, like, your Steam example. Like, you rushed in too quickly. Yeah, I've been burned too often. So how how do you build up to that? It it sounds absolutely crazy. I have a three-step program. Whoa. Please you tell name, us. I'm you ready. Name, I'm... You name a you name a mecha- mechanism, and I will. Okay, we, we're gonna do this. Yeah. Okay, great. Um... Dexterity. Dexterity. So the first one that I would do, I have a game called Caveman Curling. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's fun, light, and goofy. Mm-hmm. And then I, I that's just super easy. You just flick a disc. And then I get up into the other ones. I have I have a crokinole board, which is probably the third level. And then I have other ones that uh, you flick, such as it's called Roadsters. Okay. Uh, it's out of print. It's it's ancient, but it has this little ball, and it's got a cool like little racetrack and stuff like that. And it's similar to pitch car, pitch car and, and stuff like that. Yes, exactly. Uh, but my new fourth level would be uh, flick 'em up. Uh, okay. So that was just kind of my pinnacle. I think Catacombs would be up there as well. Catacombs yeah. would be a, a, a third-level game. Okay. Auction game. Auction, auction game. I'm looking at the best one. Uh, it would be uh, Going, Going, Gone. Uh, would be a an auction game. So You're, you're being a snob again. Why? It's not being a snob, Jonathan. I'm sorry, Scott. No. I, I, like, I like Going, Going, Gone. It's, I think it's, it's great. It's the epitome of like an emergent game. Like It's just so easy to pick up. And then I I love for sale. Um, for sale would be my uh, number would be my middle one. And then my third one I don't own it, but I would highly recommend it is Raw. Have you ever played Raw? I have not. Mm-mm. I love Raw. Raw is a beautiful game. Um, I need to get I need to get a copy. Uh, I played it on the iPad, and it it is it is beautiful with this different types of uh, auctions and stuff like that. But there are other auction games that I would I would say Power Grid would be my my probably my uh, my third level game for auction. Okay, so you gave us two examples of us naming a th- of a mechanism. What? So you're just saying that you have different levels that you've kind of categorized your games into. Yes. So okay. If somebody likes something, I'll play this one, and if they like that one, I'll go to this level, and then if they like that one, I'll go I'll go to the highest level. So really, what you're doing is you're just kind of classifying them into weights, essentially they, light, they, medium, yeah. heavy. They're they're super light. Yeah. Their their weight games, and so that's the reason why I was so excited about uh, things. I own Sushi Go. I love Sushi Go, uh, but the jump from Sushi Go to a Seven Wonders or a Blood Rage 
or where drafting is like a main mechanism in the game, uh, there was just too big of a jump. And so that's the reason why I really wanted to like fall in love with a, a treasure hunter or a medieval academy because I thought that that was a nice jump step okay. um, into that. So to play into Jonathan's hands here, <laughs> what's wrong with a super light game? You're, you always use it as kind of a derogatory. Oh, oh this, is super, well, this is on me. This is on me. To everyone, and by everyone, I mean Jonathan. Welcome to the new game, Loaded Questions. What's, what's wrong with it? Is there something wrong with it? Super light games can be a great way to introduce people to the hobby. I do agree. I do agree that can be a great way to introduce people to but the hobby. There is no way you would introduce people who have never played hobby board games to Grand Austria Hotel the first time out. Never. No, you're right. You're right. That'd blow their mind. I feel like true life and I don't care the last game night I invited a friend finally came um, and you know had a little bit of experience with gaming just in general but hadn't played anything really modern and uh, we played Saboteur which was decent good uh, and then we then we then he played Istanbul with us and it was fine um, it was five players so it, you know obviously that slows it down just a little bit too much but I, I feel like he was kind of not sure what he was doing the end and uh, i skipped a step didn't i no no it was good two things that i've learned and this kind of comes into it is if you are trying to help somebody you need to you need to be very explicit about the boundaries so in teaching him about teaching him uh istanbul i would not have i would not have had the full complement of five because the number one because you that person starts thinking to themselves Oh my gosh, these other people know what they're doing. Um, and then you also don't want to have, so you want to cater it to be a short experience. Yeah. So um, in that one, three, maybe four, but also I will play, I play differently with new people. I'll tend to go off on another, like do a different strategy. I'll try to do something kind of, kind of crazy off the wall so that they don't feel like that. Oh my gosh! You don't want to be playing a game and really feel like you're playing um, Spyfall and that you're the spy. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! Everyone knows where we are and what we are doing, except for me, and that is a terrible feeling for me. Um, I played uh, Battlestar Galactica with some veterans for the first time. They're like, "Oh, you've never played Battlestar? Galactica? You got to play with us." And they got the cards dealt, and the guy was, like, talking about, like, strategy. Like, oh, I got the 5-6. Um, hey, whoever has the the this, that, or that, you need to play that card. If you don't, you're a Cylon. And, of course, I was a Cylon. And so I was thinking to myself, like, oh, my gosh. Like, I can bluff. I've played tons of bluffing games, but they're speaking in a language that I don't understand. And uh, and so what I tend to do is when I have that person, it, it really – revolves around them so hey i'm going to take this move and i'm kind of doing this move because i like these i like these technologies that i want to go towards and and uh but hey you look like you have a good position here where do you want to go you know and and just kind of help them along uh because the second that they feel like oh hey i got this is the second that the light kind of turns on but you can smother that if you're like like a chess clock (laughs) Mm-hmm. Which we don't have to worry about with Jonathan, but no, <laughs> uh, guys. In this game of Istanbul, I was moving 
fairly quickly. There were some other people who were kind of taking their time, but I was moving fairly quickly. Fairly. And, yeah. but it just with five players, I, I'm a little bit averse to playing more than three or four players in most games anyway. I agree. That's just, I, I just don't have the attention span for that, that long of a game. And I really hate for them to drag out and for me to have to wait forever on other people's turns. Oh, no, I'm starting to feel some guilt. Determination uh, <laughs> here. Hypocrite. But, um, <laughs> but I just, you know, the night wasn't over after we finished that game, and he left. And he's got a family and stuff, and I don't know what his, you know, what he had going on, what his commitment levels were. I just, I, and I haven't, unfortunately, I haven't talked to him since. And I just kind of wondered, did I scare him away? Did we break any interest he could have had? And and how do you, you know, bring in new people to an established game group, um, you know, and kind of work them in? Do you have to break it out where you you meet them separately and kind of, you know? No, but I I say hey we're gonna play Istanbul, Johnny's playing, let's gonna make this a three or four let's make this three or four player group, mm-hmm. um, and then I always will tend to say hey we're playing with Johnny so. Hey, let's talk about like what we're doing, kind of as we're doing it. And I make sure that it's you know because I think sometimes we get our blinders on and we focus in on you know a game or whatever. If you can make it for Johnny and kind of talk to him and keep it up, it it lessens that anxiety of I'm doing something wrong. Right, right. And I think it also comes down to how we're teaching games, because again, whenever I'm taking my turns or whatnot, I like to kind of not narrate but explain why I'm doing what I'm doing. Or try to give some suggestions on, well, you know, I could, I have some different choices here. I could do this, and this is why I chose to do this. And just give them some suggestions, not trying to dictate, but give them some, an idea of how they can approach the game in front of them. Another thing that you and I do really well, I, I, you and I do really well, is that I tend, to, when if ever I'm teaching a game, I rarely play. I rarely play. Like if it, I, if there are four people, I will say, I, and including me, I'll say, hey, why don't you guys play three player? And I'll just help Johnny, you know, I'll just kind of talk through Johnny and we'll kind of go through the strategy. It That works really well. Yeah, especially if you're trying to introduce a more complex game. Yeah. So that's I think that's why I think there's a lot of value in playing lighter weight games with new players. Something that adds some more strategy, perhaps, or some interesting new aspects that maybe haven't been exposed to that they can handle on their own. Might be a novel new experience. But if you want to start getting them in their game for it, playing some more of these heavier strategy games I wouldn't say heavy but games that are a little bit more weighted towards strategy as opposed to luck having that aspect of I'll just kind of look over your shoulder give you some if you have questions or whatever I can help you out with that and then I've done that many times and I point out something like okay I've got it fantastic I will butt out now and let you play your game yes and I I love that Uh, one thing that I also building up on what you're saying is is that we as gamers don't quite know it but in playing games as long as we have we don't quite understand like we pick up games very quickly and one of the reasons why we pick up games very quickly is is when we played blood rage it took it took one turn before like one round before we were like boom i got this you know and that's a that's a meaty game and you know the reason why you why that hits is because all of you know how to draft, you know, all of you have played multiple drafting games and all of you have ever played like, you know, cosmic encounter, like secret play a card before you 
before you, you know, put a card down before you reveal it. You've played those mechanisms to the point where this big, scary game that if you were to look at that game, you're like, oh my gosh, that's a really complicated game. But if you break it down into different mechanisms, you're like, oh, I've drafted a million times or, oh, it's worker placement. I, there is no worker placement that I don't feel like I got this, Mm -hmm. you know, because I played a, I play a ton of worker placement games and these people don't have that base. And that's the reason why I like the, uh, Clint's patented, uh, three-step program. What would be your baby step into worker placement? Uh, it is, uh, Stone Age. Okay. What was that? That was like, that was the eye roll. It picked up on the microphone. Did you see the eye roll on the microphone, everybody? Yes. You you have not even finished a game of of Stone Age. You're correct. I've played a partial game of Stone Age. And see, here's where I think the problem that as gamers, we have an issue. It's a lighter game than what you prefer. So you're dismissing it outright. I love Lords of Waterdeep. No, 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 no. What is wrong with Stone Age? I don't know. There's something about it that just... But you can't articulate it. Oh, no. Here's the million-dollar thing. My wife loves Stone Age. Uh, She likes Lords of Waterdeep, but she loves Stone Age. And the reason why is because it's that perfect level for her. And we've played that game over and over and over. And the thing is, is that theme is accessible. And so I always say, I think Lords of Waterdeep is probably a better game. But I... Nine times out of ten, I'm getting out Stone Age over Lords of Waterdeep. I own both of them. I like both of them. But uh, worker placement, Stone Age is is a guaranteed winner for me. Okay. I'll give it another try. I'm just saying that if you're going to introduce somebody to a game, to a, to worker placement, I think Stone Age is a great way to kind of build up to something bigger. Like, like you said, like Lords of Waterdeep. I would be afraid to try to, it's like, oh, you get these quests and... There's a the theme is going to be a little bit of a disconnect as well, so I think theme is a part of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But again, I'm just trying to figure out what it is about Stone Age that you felt like just made it like a subpar game for you. I don't. I don't know. There's something about collecting sets, maybe, or something. Collecting in there. sets. And there's something something where you collect the development. Drive. Yeah. So there's something in there that just kind of didn't sit with me. I don't know what it was. I think that's the most complicated part of that game. Honestly, yeah. The thing about I just I think that the art is beautiful too. That game just draws you in. Um, and the other thing is, is that like it or not, I mean, some people don't like the dice rolling me- mechanism, but the dice rolling mechanism adds an in, an aspect of ooh, I wonder what I'm going to roll. Mm-hmm. That adds a little extra spice that some people do need when they're starting to go into Euro games. They need a little. They need a little something. Because if not, it gets gets too dry, and yeah. they're just and they're not interested. So the rolling of the dice, um, I I don't know about your like your cup in Stone Age, but mm-hmm. like mine smells like death. It smells horrible. Did you did you pick up a whiff of death? Is that the problem with my copy that, that you were playing? That is Jonathan. Like, that was it. <laughs> we, we lovingly call it the stink cup, and like me and my wife still call it to this day the stink cup. It's made out of leather, so it, I mean, yeah untreated death leather uh <laughs> the stink made from the carcass of a freshly killed cow <laughs> a freshly killed mastodon Jeez. so uh, i love that i love when somebody pit likes i thought i was thinking he loved the stink i love cup. mastodon death <laughs> cups <laughs> but in honesty i just 
I don't know. I just I I love when somebody likes like when my wife liked worker placement for the first time because that's probably my favorite mechanism, one of them, top easy. I just having a game. It's not my favorite game and we've played it. Mm-hmm. We've played it a ton. It's one of the games I've played the most, but I still play it. I you know, I I still like it. It's not my favorite worker placement by in by a long shot. No. And I I think I think that's probably the thing is that Jonathan's used to deeper worker placement games. It just didn't do that for him. But again, I don't think it's designed for you. Does that make sense? I think you're at a higher level of worker placement. This was too basic for you. That's why you probably didn't enjoy it. I think I just skipped some steps in my development as a gamer. And I'm still, (laughs) I'm kind of stunned in a little bit. But the important thing here is that I think it would still be a great game for other people who are uninitiated with worker placement. Yep. And I think you've got to be willing to play something maybe that you realize it's not as good of a game as other things, but it could lead to better things down the road. Mm-hmm. Which gets into another thing that we'll have to talk about a whole a whole another time is is that about rating a game mm-hmm. and liking it for its for the weight it is, you know, and instead of like you know. Medieval Academy does not rewrite the book of uh, drafting games. Mm-hmm. Not the best drafting game by a long shot, but it's perfect for its weight and it does a really it it does it really well. Mm-hmm. You know how do we rate that? You know, is it it's not you know it's not top ten of the drafting games, but it's great for what it does. Right. Yeah. And this actually reminds me a little bit of something a little bit different. Are either of you familiar with Daniel Pink? Mm-mm. He's written some books in, in terms of creativity and motivation and things along those lines. But he, one of the arguments that he makes is that there are different reasons that we, different reasons that we make certain decisions. That we can make a decision for a fundamental reason, or we can make a decision for an instrumental reason. Mm-hmm. So an instrumental reason is we're doing it because if we think it's gonna, we do this, it'll lead to something bigger and better. You know, mm-hmm. we're using it to get to get to something else. Mm-hmm. But really. The most successful people are the ones who make decisions for more fundamental reasons. They see the value in the thing itself as opposed to what will it lead to down the road. Yes. So I really think that that's kind of how we want to try to approach this. We want to try to play the games to find the value in the game itself. It's a lighter game, but you still see the value in it. And it might eventually lead to better things. But I think if we go into it thinking, and I'm kind of possibly contradicting what I said just a minute ago, but that's what triggered the whole thought is that we don't really want to have the whole, like, I'm going to introduce this game, and it's going to lead to this and this, and I'll be able to help this guy will love the hobby that I love. I think if we take it that approach, it's just not going to, it's going to fall apart on us. But if we can try to approach the games and introduce it to people and help them to see that there's value in the game itself, that there's new things here. Mm-hmm. And it might lead to new things. It may not, but I think that's the thing. So I think we want to approach it for fundamental reasons as opposed to instrumental. There's the analytical part for the night. Good night. <laughs> this has been Professor Rose um, signing out. I don't no, know, but I think I, I like that. That makes a lot of sense, actually. Jonathan doesn't agree at all. It's, it's, you're trying to get me to have a real paradigm shift here, and I'm just <laughs> I'm struggling with it. We're trying to shift my paradigms. Yeah. It, it's some food for thought. I think. Keep I, your hands off my paradigms. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> so, Jonathan, do you have anything else in particular that you wanted to talk about in terms of introducing games to new players? 
checking the sticky note. This is a highly detailed uh, list here of things I want to talk about. Not really. I mean, I had a a brief moment where I introduced these four freshman boys into uh, the Hobbit love letter. They kind of ended up in my classroom. We have this thing called tutorial two days a week where the kids can go and, um, you know, get some help with some homework or do some kind of study hall. Sometimes there's like some enrichment type activities for them to do. And so this is where I've started trying to fit in a couple board game meetings a month. And, uh, you know, it's a real short period of time, like 30, 45 minutes maybe. And so these four boys got caught wandering the halls, not sure where to go. Um, it's kind of hard for kids at this age to to make these decisions of, you know, where do I go during this time period? What do I do? I'm not locked into doing anything unless I've been assigned to it by a teacher. And so they ended up in my room, and other kids were already playing games. I've got a group of kids who play Magic, and they were all, you know, self-contained. I had a, kid, a group of kids playing Coup. And then so they came in, they had nothing to do. They were like, you know, what's going on here? They thought they were a little too cool for this. But I, I had them sit down and taught them how to play Love Letter, the Hobbit version. And, you know, by the end, you know, I kind of thought they were having fun and enjoying it and, you know, got exposed to something, you know, a little bit new. Obviously, that's a very light game, but it was exactly at the level they were ready for. I think that's that's the key there. Like Again, another example from just my own experiences, we have kind of this group that we form to play games during lunch, but there are other co-workers around that start seeing us play games, and they're not really into games, but we, they start getting pressure from the other other people in the office. I try not to put too much pressure on people, but they finally convinced one of my co- other co-workers who's never played games with us to sit down and play a game with us. And so I asked them, like, okay, I heard you're going to be joining us tomorrow. Okay, what type of games do you like? Do you like more strategy in your games, more luck in your games? And he's supposed to like, I like, I probably like more luck with a little bit of strategy. I'm like, perfect. I know because that's all we're going to play tomorrow. Pulled out Camel Up. Mm-hmm. That game has been a huge success in our office. Because, again, it's there's so much luck, but it creates aspects of excitement. Green, who's in last place? Oh, he's out of the Oh, no, 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 no. Gets the perfect roll, piggybacks on other camels, ends up in the lead at the end of the round. So there's a lot of interesting excitement that can be built up through luck. There are some, There is some strategy in terms of looking at the options and kind of seeing what the probability is. You can go as in-depth as you want, but they've really, really lashed onto that quite a bit. So I think there's, there's quite a bit of value of being able to play those lighter games, get them excited about it, and go from there. I agree. Anything else you have, Clint? No. I think we have... Clint's ready to go home. Blum the death. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm good. All righty. So tonight, we're going to wrap things up with the punch list. And this week's punch list is brought to you by Clint. Yes, it is, as a matter of fact. So my question, and this kind of came up as we've been talking and uh, and Jonathan's been playing some games. We have big collections. Well, at least, you know, we have a ton of different okay. games. The two of us have big collections. Yes, we do. Um, and it's a problem. Here's my thing. If you could only have board games from one designer, what board games would it be what designer would you choose because this question is deeper than what you th- it 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 has it has a lot of teeth to it and i will go first 
Thank you. I'll go first, but uh, I've had a a ton of, of thought about this, and I have come up with the quintessential, and you guys can copy me, but I really do believe uh, Vladich Vodl is uh, – it would be the guy that I would choose. I love a lot of different artists, but the one thing about Vladich Vodl is, is that uh, – the funny thing is, is I think that he's decided, I think I'm going to just take this corner and I'm just going to be the all-encompassing uh, all-encompassing guy because uh, I was I was looking at this and Vlada, he is known for a lot of like the most amazing games. I mean, he's got games like uh, Through the Ages, uh, Mage Knight. Um, he's got uh, Galaxy Trucker. Dungeon Pets, Dungeon Lords, and all of those games are super medium heavy, you know, some pretty deep games. And I think uh, as Jonathan's kind of been explaining to me or talking about Mage Knight, I think you could play that game 50 times and still feel like you're still getting something out of it. You're learning something. I I just feel like he makes games. I mean, uh, through the ages, I still play... Um, and I just love that game. I, you know, I've played it. I've probably played it forty or fifty times, and just, just I'm excited. I'd play to, I'd play a game tonight. You know, um, just super deep. But uh, the thing, the thing that's been impressed me about about him is, is that he's come out with two amazing games, uh, games of the year. Uh, well, uh, two amazing games. Lately. He came up with Pictomania. And then Code Names, which has been a lot of people's game of the year, and I mean, is an is an ultimate party game. Uh, that game we played at least twenty or thirty times over Christmas. Um, it just got tons of burn, and it's just it's just an amazing, amazing party game. And I just I just feel like uh, I feel like he has I think he has it all for that type of thing because. You need to be. I would say you got to be careful because sometimes when I'm when you're thinking about this, you're like, oh, I'd love him because I he has such deep games. Well, if he has deep games, you're gonna have a problem where you don't have anybody to step things up, and so you don't like you you have people that your their, their head's gonna explode if you bring out a super heavy game. So Vlada doesn't do it. Like it seems like he's like kind of super light and then <laughs> super heavy, but. I think I, I choose Vlada. That, that's a good choice. Absolutely. Th- this is really hard. Uh, yeah. And I, I, I th- it, is, it is a question. I know this is almost not even a – we may have to make an addendum next week, uh, next time we record. Because, first of all, it's darn near impossible to find a designer that captures all the different types of games that you like. That's true. Because mm-hmm. I'm thinking that I'm – so enamored with cooperative games not having a cooperative game was going to kill me Mm -hmm. how do you like Antoine Baza Mm. you got Seven Wonders Mm. you have Takinoko you have uh, Ghost Stories which is a cooperative game one of my favorites yeah Antoine Baza most people don't know but Ghost Stories yeah he's Tokaido which is a fantastic gateway game I'm going to regret this I'm going to go with UA Rosenberg. Really? I like that. You got Bonanza, which is a nice... It's just a, my, lo- my, my wife loves Bonanza. Mm-hmm. She loves... She just calls it Beans. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Let's play Beans. Yep, pretty much. But then you've got... I, I've, I've, I've 
not played it as much as I probably should, but Glass Road, it's 30 minutes per player. Actually, it's 20 minutes per player. Mm-hmm. So that one's nice. Really love Caverna and Agricola. Yeah. And there's lots of pre- replayability in those games. So if I had to strip it down to that, yeah. It, it's hard, but I'm, I'm going to go with Rosenberg. Rosenberg would be a good one. Just because, I mean, we played the crud out of Agricola when we first got it. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I definitely think that Caverna has surpassed it in my own mind. I know some people are going to be very opposed to that idea that something has surpassed Agricola, but I find that I enjoy Caverna a lot more. I love being able to build that cavern. I'm right with you. 100% yep. like no looking back. I like I like Agricola, but I think uh, Caverna, so, Caverna so, kicks in the paradigms. So you're surprised by my choice. Why? Uh, I would. Uh, the one thing uh, – so I like Uwe Rosenberg. My thing is is that he has um, – when we talk about different levels, Uwe Rosenberg almost has an entire anthology of just kind of the same level of game. So I, we, I agree. We have Agricola, La Havre, or at Labora, Caverna, Glass Road, and probably a little. That's what I mean when I think about it. In terms of, I don't own a ton of his games. Mm-hmm. I'm, there's one I'm completely forgetting about. Builds of Arl. I don't have that one. There's one I'm forgetting about. That fits in the middle, but yeah, you got Bonanza, Gates of Loyang. Don't have that. I don't. I, I don't have a lot of his games, mm-hmm. but I. I. I think Caverna and Agricola are so high up on my list in terms of games that I enjoy, and my wife loves Bonanza, which is a. It's a good game. It's a. It's a really interesting kind of trading game. Have you? Have you? You. You. Yeah, We've played together. It. Yeah, I like it. And then I feel like that, that Glass Road kind of fits in that middle category. But I will agree, a lot of his games kind of feel samey yeah. in some aspects. The funny thing, though, is Patchwork. Oh, oh Patchwork. I, I want great things about Patchwork. That's one of the ones yeah. I was thinking about. That. Uh, I really like that, though. That You know what, though? The Uwe Rosenberg games, I'd go back to them. There are some games that I play, and I'm like, oh, yeah. Agricola, I'd play Agricola again. I love Caverna. I love Lahav. I love, love, love Lahav. Yeah. I should have said just Stefan Feld to see you guys flip it on me. Yeah. I I thought Stefan Feld for a long time. But uh, in my in my book, I just – the reason why I think uh, Tvaddle goes thing is because the themes are so different, um, whereas a lot of the Feld game, Feldian games are um, – there's just a dour-looking guy um, on the cover. Absolutely. A lot of them. Jonathan, you're up. I have no good answer for this. Oh, oh. God. We let me you go last and everything. Well, the lot is Clint good. Wins. The lot is good. Mage Knight. Stumped. Stumped Jonathan. Mage Knight. And his other games. Um, <laughs> if I had to pick, here, here's where I have some problems. If I had to pick, I mean, Richard Garfield, Magic. I don't actually play Magic anymore. Um, King of Tokyo is a great game. And, uh, Android Netrunner is a great game. I no longer play Netrunner. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, even though I love two of those games and like King of Tokyo, I can't really go with Garfield. Um, I thought about Rosenberg. I like several of his games. I thought about Bowser. I mean, he's got a little bit of diversity. But i got to be honest with you, I don't love a lot of his games. I like Takedo. I liked Seven Wonders a lot. 
I don't really care for Takenoko for some reason, even though it's in my family. One member of my family owns it. I just uh, I love that. Game. I don't know why it doesn't it doesn't work for me. So I'm going to have to go with Stefan Feld, even though I don't own a lot of his games. Really? In fact, I only own one of his games, and that game is Bruges. Bruges. But I think of the ones that I've played, and I haven't even played a lot of his games, but I think of the games that I've, I've played. Uh, La Isla is a fine game. You know, it's lighter. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed playing... Castles of Burgundy a couple times I played that it's kind of another step up from La Isla um, I enjoyed Bora Bora to a certain degree I haven't gotten gotten to play Trajan unfortunately or some of the other ones that I think I might like uh, Aquasphere I'd love to try too but one that I would throw out that you would want to look at is Eric Lang because Eric Lang <sighs> He is Blood quickly Rage. rising the thing because I mean he's got a lot of. I didn't even think about him. He's got a lot of great games and he's got a lot of uh, diversity. He's got a lot of TCGs. Yeah, and uh, I know uh, you have the Dice TCG Masters. Bug. Not going to work for me though. What was that? I said Dice Masters are not going to work for me, even though I tried it. Uh, uh, well, like I said though, talking about breadth of games. I mean, he's got Dice Masters. He's got. Uh, He's got uh, Arcadia Quest. He definitely has. Try that. He has Euro-like games, and then he also has very Ameritrashy games. So if you wanted someone, I think that you and I, uh, you and I, Sean, went for the Euro games, which is uh, which is also very interesting. I kind of wanted to point out, we both went for Eurocentric designers. Feld. Uh, and Feld, yeah. So Jonathan also went for a Euro thing. It, it's very funny that we went Euro. Um, and we didn't choose like a Kevin Wilson or a, uh, or an Eric Lang. And I think Eric Lang is starting to really master that hybrid, um, both strong strong rules, but a good, really kind of good cohesive theme. So Eric Lang is actually higher up on the list. It's an honorable mention for me. I, th- I agree. Yeah. Think Ignacy Ignacy was my second with Robinson and Imperial Settlers. Yeah. I haven't played a lot of his games. I haven't played Theseus. Is that his? Maybe that's just his company. I haven't played um, some of his other games. His pirate but, game? His pirate game? But, uh... Rattle Battle. Hey, Grand First Martians. I mean, just First the Martians. just the promise. But do you see how he just blew off the pirate that's game? That's held out there. Mm-hmm. Just that promise, that little that little hint of First Martians. Mm-hmm. Just... My expectations Ooh. on all pirate games are pretty low, so don't, don't, don't worry. They aren't... It probably was good, but it's no ninja game. <laughs> Okay, but yeah, First Martians does look good. Uh, oh. He has Stronghold also, which is Ooh. great. Which is a great two-player game. Ooh, that second edition looks nice, guys. We Check could do a out. whole podcast about that. I'm sorry, that that's a that's probably a, a, a deeper question. But you could try to t- pick like three designers. Just one is really hard, but you know, pick three designers that you, you could only have people from them. It'd be very interesting. Would it, would it count if the game was co-designed? If that designer is still attached to it? Uh, yeah, I'd say if he's a first or second author. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, all right. So, but uh, yeah, I I I think that that's a very interesting question, and I think that that's sometimes because I know we've bought games on designer name alone. I have. I've bought design. I've bought games on designer name alone. I don't feel like I've done it as much, though. Honestly, I see Bruno Cathala on a board game. I'm like, that game's probably a dang good game. Sure, but yeah, I don't know if I've done that as much. 
If I, if I really think about it and reflect on it, maybe maybe you'll prove me right. Yeah. Prove me wrong there. That's Klinsky. And this is, you're going to be like, in three months, you're going to be like, oh my gosh, that one question Clint had, I just barely came up with a great answer. That question was so deep. So deep. So d- deep, deep. Super light. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. So I think that brings the conclusion of episode number 23 of the Punched and Played podcast. As always, you can like us on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter at Punched And you can find us on our website at punchedandplayed.com. So until next time, remember, if you're going to punch them, make sure you play them. Yeah.